We turn to God's Word now. Our first reading is an Old Testament text. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. First Samuel 2, 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. And... You can turn over in your New Testament to Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. We're going to be focusing in the sermon particularly on Mary's song, which is verses 46 through 55, but we'll read the wider context here uh, just to kind of get the, get the wider picture. Um, as it's December now and we're, we're looking forward towards Christmas, um, the elders thought it would be good to take a break from the series in, in Matthew. We, we thought it would be good to spend some time thinking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, His incarnation, His birth as our Savior. And uh, so the series that we're going to walk through in the morning services leading up to, uh, to Christmas is uh, looking at the songs in Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke's Gospel, in the first two chapters give us this wonderful detailed narrative about the events leading up to Christ's birth. Luke's, Luke's gospel is full of music. It, it's, it's like a musical. When I was a kid, I didn't like musicals because I always, the action kept getting interrupted by them stopping and singing these songs. Um, but, uh, but here in Luke's gospel, he keeps doing the same thing. He, pauses, he hits pause and he says, now listen to this song. Uh, l- listen to what they're saying. Because it's in the song that he's sort of giving us the key. He's saying, let me tell you, okay, I've told you this story. What does it mean for you? What's the theological significance here for you and for your life? Um, the, the, these songs, these four songs, we've got Mary's, and then Zacharias, and then the angels, and then Simeon's song. These four songs give us keys to understanding 
what's going on in Christ's coming and his birth. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at them, each in turn. First of all, starting with, uh, with Mary's song. So let's turn our hearts now to hear God's word. Luke chapter 1, I'll read verses 39 through 56. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray and ask that he would bless it, uh, bless it to our hearts. O Lord God, you tell us in your holy word that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That it's not our faith which makes your word come alive to us, but your word which makes our faith come alive to you. So we pray that you yourself, by your spirit, through your word, would speak to our hearts and you'd wake us up to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Who has God's attention? Who is God paying attention to? Who, who, who gets God looking at him, paying attention to him, showing him mercy, working on, on his behalf powerfully for good? You might think um, God is for the good people. God pays attention to the good people. He, ta- he pays attention to the important people and the powerful people. That's the way for most people, for, for most of, of human history, have thought. That God pays attention to the prominent ones, and, and, and he pays attention to the ones who are worth paying attention to. But here, as we read, as we read together in Mary's song, and, and, and what we see in the gospel, is that God turns all of that on, on its head. He tells us that he doesn't pay attention to the proud, 
except to show them his wrath. But he pays attention to the lowly, to the weak and the needy and the poor uh, and, and the sinner. That he, 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 he destroys the proud and he, he gently lifts up and saves the humble and the lowly. He takes those who think they have everything. He shows them they have nothing. And he takes those who know they have nothing and he gives them everything in the gospel. This is the essence of Mary's song. This is, the, this is the heart of what she's singing about, what she's so happy about, that God helps the humble, that He hears the humble, that He, that he loves sinners and saves sinners, and He saves those who are, who are weak. I mentioned just a few minutes ago that um, the opening songs here in Luke's Gospel narrative give us the keys for understanding what's going on in the story. They're, they're the key that unlocks the treasure of, of what Christ's birth is, is all about. And, and this is the first key, then, that Luke, writing his gospel by the power of the Spirit, is giving us. What's this gospel? What's this birth of Jesus about? It's the fact that God helps the humble. He helps the lowly. Up to this point, um, Luke has told us about two miraculous conceptions. Uh, first, there was Elizabeth and, and Zachariah, this, this old couple, way past the point of having children. They'd never been able to have children before, like Abraham and Sarah, so many generations before. God comes and He says, you're going to have a baby. And um, they say, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, how can this be? Lord, that you would give us a child. We, we've never been able to have children. We're past the point of childbearing. But, but the Lord's promise comes true to them. Uh, Elizabeth becomes with child, and they, they tell them this is going to be a prophet who is getting the people ready to listen to Jesus. This is going to be the promised final prophet who would say, the Messiah is coming. And then there, there's Mary, this young virgin girl, and an angel comes to her, and tells her that she's also going to have a child, not through, not through any man, uh, but, but through the Holy Spirit coming to her. And this child is going to be the Son of God. He's going to be the Messiah. Mary's overwhelmed. Often I think we, we think, you know, what would it be like to 14, 15 years old, not married, you're going to have a baby. What are the neighbors going to think? What, what, what's my fiancé going to think? Um, I'm sure there's some of that, but, but she's overwhelmed with joy. You see that in her song? My soul rejoices. My heart exalts. The little unborn baby in her womb is God in the flesh, the Messiah. So she's rejoicing. And so Luke hits pause on the story. He says, let me tell you what this is about. Why she's rejoicing. So that you can also know her joy and share her joy and rejoice with her in this gospel of the one who lifts up the lowly. Let's look at her song. Uh, we start verses 46 to 47 with a joyful call to worship. A joyful call to worship in verses 46 and 47. It's, it's so, um, so interesting to note that, that, that this theme running through these early chapters of Luke's gospel, everywhere that the announcement of Christ's coming goes, 
It's met with joy. It's met with exuberant praise and rejoicing in God. Uh, it happens, it happens uh, uh, with Mary. It happens with, with the shepherds. It happens with the angels. It happens with Simeon later on in the temple, as we'll see. Um, but here we see it in Mary. This joy is, is welling up in Mary's heart and bursting out in praise. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Um, you can see the parallelism in those lines, I think, right? Uh, Hebrew poetry um, uh, has, has this parallelism that goes on in it. Mary's song is in Greek, but, but she's a Jew, so she's thinking in the same way, and she's, she's singing this song that has these, these parallel lines going together. The first line, my soul magnifies the Lord, and the second, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. They're almost the same, but there's just enough difference to, to add some, some depth and some nuance to, to what she's saying. Uh, the first line she sings begins with, My soul, my soul rejoices. The second line, very similar, begins, My spirit. Um, she's not, I don't think, saying that she has a soul and a spirit, but she's referring to the fact that she has a spiritual being, her soul slash spirit, and that her soul, her spirit, rejoices in God. What's she, what's she doing by, by using these two different terms? She's saying, Everything in me. Everything that I have, everything that I am, my whole heart is rejoicing. She's rejoicing in God. In the first line, she says she's magnifying God. That's worship. Um, we usually talk about magnifying something as taking something small, making it look big, right? My boys have a magnifying glass, and they like to look at little bugs and make them look big with her magnifying glass, right, to see the details. Mary's not saying that about God. My soul is making God look bigger than he is, magnifying him. No, my, my soul magnifies him. That means look at how big he is. Let's glorify him. Let's, let's praise him. She's stunned by what God has done and, and who he is. The second line, then in parallel to magnifying God, she's rejoicing in God. So this isn't just praise without joy. Or worship without joy. It's joyful praise to the Lord. Her whole being caught up in joyful worship. And it's joyful worship in the Lord. Um, we see this again, the parallelism of these two lines. First, she says, I'm, re- I'm worshiping God in the first line. In the second, I magnify, I magnify the Lord, the God of Israel, the, the Savior, she says. God, my, my Savior. Um, She's recognizing that God is the only one who can, who can save her and give her the, the, the deliverance that she needs. And she says, he's, he's my Savior. Not just the Savior, but the one who has saved me. Her song echoes Hannah's song, which we read earlier in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah, given a miracle child by the Lord, sings, My heart exalts in the Lord. Because the Lord has taken away her, her bitter barrenness and given her a son. And so Mary, now like that, sings this song of worship to God for the son he's given to her. So Mary's rejoicing. Worship, praise, joy in God. The lesson we need to take away from those opening lines is not just, well, isn't it interesting that Mary was rejoicing in God? But we need to join her her, her, her praise and joy and worship is 
a call for us to praise God and rejoice in, in God as well. She receives the good news of God's mercy and she bursts out into praise. Her whole being is exalting in, in God. And, and, and loved ones, just like that, our, our whole being should be rejoicing in God and, and all that He's done for us. The Scriptures call us to rejoice in Him. Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Do you delight in worship? Do you delight to sing His praise and meditate on who He is and, and what He's done for you? Is that, is that flowing out of your heart? Joy, happiness, and delight in your God. The Scriptures over and over call us to this. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Psalm 34.3 says, Psalm 35 says, My soul will rejoice in the Lord exalting in His salvation. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. This is the hallmark of a soul that has understood the Gospel. Mary has understood the Gospel. The result is joy. So it will be with our hearts. Don't tolerate lukewarmness in your affections for the Lord. But you can't have that joyful worship of God just in a vacuum, can you? Right? It needs fuel. The fire of joy needs fuel to burn. Um, and uh, what we see next in Mary's song is the fuel that's making this worship burn. And there are two parts to it. The first is the Lord's mercy to her. This is the first log on the fire of her joy, if you will. It's, it's the Lord's mercy to her, verses 48 through 50. She has the sense of God's mercy to, to her, very personally. Um, it's four aspects that we'll look at here. The Lord's mercy to Mary that, that have so moved her. Number one, it's the mercy of the Lord's look. The mercy of God's look, His eye on her. Verse 48 says, For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. That word regarded uh, literally means he's, he's looked on me. His, his, he's paying attention to me. His eye is, is on me. If you're, if you're talking to a friend and, and, and you're in conversation, you're trying to say something to them and they keep looking the other way. It's looking at this thing happening over here, that thing over there, flipping out their phone, right? And, and looking, looking at their phone. Um, what, what, what sense do you get? Well, they're not that interested in what I they're not They're not paying attention to me. Um... But the Lord, loved ones, what, what's Mary's sense of, of God? His eyes right on me. His, his face is towards me. Think of those wonderful words of Aaron's blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. Make his count, lift up his countenance, his face on you and give you peace. But this, is the, this is the covenant that God's looking at me. With, with a gracious, loving gaze. His attention is, is on me. She's deeply moved by this. Not only is she moved by the fact that he's paying attention to her, but she's moved by the fact that she does not deserve it. She says, he's looked on the lowly state of his maidservant. Who am I, Lord? I'm just, I'm just, I'm a nobody. I'm a lowly serving girl in, in your kingdom. 
And she has no prominence. She has no influence in society. She's nobody important. Um, uh, more than just being poor or, or lower class, she's, she's also realizing, I think, she, she knows that she's a spiritual beggar. She's a sinner and has no right to have the Lord's attention. She's, she, she knows she's not sinless. Um, so she humbles herself here. She, she goes to the lowest position. She, she gets on her face before the Lord. I'm your servant. I know I have no status or, or position in myself or worth in myself. But Lord, you're looking at me with steadfast love. This is the marvel of the gospel for us, loved ones. That the Lord turns his loving gaze on undeserving sinners. That he, he should look away from us, pour out his wrath on us, pay no attention to us, ignore us, uh, condemn us to, uh, to, 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 to hell. But instead, he looks on in love, his attention fixed right on you. That's the first aspect of Mary's joy in the Lord's mercy to her. The, the second thing here, uh, the second part of the Lord's mercy to her personally that she's rejoicing in is the, is the Lord's blessing, the mercy of the Lord's blessing. Verse 48, she says, For behold, henceforth, or from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Um, what's Mary saying here? She's saying, now my name's in the history books. Uh, is that what she's saying? From now on, everyone's going to know who Mary is, and that's why I'm glad. Um, no, that's not what she's saying. She's rejoicing in God's blessing. She's rejoicing in the fact that God has blessed her, and that God has done something in her and for her that will make people worship God forever. She has been chosen for tremendous blessing. She's been singled out by God for, for this amazing blessing all through Israel's history, right? This promise has, has been there. Since Genesis 3.15, there's going to be a child born who's going to crush the work of Satan and bring in the kingdom of God and bring peace and life and blessing. And, and, and no doubt generations of Jewish women all through the history of the Old Testament have been wondering, will it be me? My child? And now here... She's the mother of the Christ. Come. Um, the, the very mother of God. The child in her womb is, is the God-man, one person with two distinct natures forever. And, and so she's rejoicing in this. And the fact that, that God has done this for her is, is a blessing to her and a blessing to everyone. Um, and so Mary, Mary's calling us to, to see the way God has blessed her and join with her in worshiping God for this. Um, she, she, this text is not a reason for us to venerate Mary with, with worship, right? Some, some Christian traditions say she should be prayed to, she should be worshipped, she's a sinless mediator that we can cry out to. Um, no, she just said she's a humble maidservant, undeserving of the Lord's grace, she's a sinner. But, but she is blessed, isn't she? And, and we, should, we should note the Lord's blessing on her and rejoice in what he's done, what he's done for us through her. The third aspect of the mercy the Lord has shown to her that she's rejoicing in is the mercy of the Lord's might. So first, she rejoiced in the mercy of his look, the mercy of his blessing. Second, now third, she's rejoicing in the mercy of the Lord's might, his power. Verse 49, she calls God, He who is mighty. He is the one who has all power, 
omnipotent God spoke the world into existence. Uh, he, has, he has power, brothers and sisters, that we, we cannot comprehend. We cannot wrap our minds around the infinite power of God. But Mary's not just describing God as brute power, is she? It's, it's the power and the might of God for her. It's, it's, it's God's work as a warrior come to save her and, and rescue her. This is the way this title for God, the Mighty One, is used uh, all over the Old Testament. It describes God who's the warrior who fights for his, for his people. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a Mighty One who will save. Isaiah 63.1, Who is this? who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Bozrah, he who is splendid in his his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. God presents himself to his people. He says, I am the mighty warrior who who will defeat all your enemies, who will will rescue you and, and save you. This is what Mary's rejoicing in. She's rejoicing in the fact that the God who rescued Israel from Egypt as a mighty warrior, is now rescuing her also by a mighty second exodus. Mary understands that she is standing on the cusp of God's great redemptive work to bring in uh, uh, this new redemption of his people. She's rejoicing that God has come to save her from her own sins. She doesn't know all the details yet of how God's going to work by his power to do this. But she knows. She knows it's for her. She doesn't know yet, does she, what this power of God will look like in this baby in her womb? doesn't know that he's going to be crucified on a cross. The power of God unto salvation is going to be of a crucified Messiah. Doesn't, doesn't know these things, but as she looks down, that little bump growing on her belly, she knows God is mighty. He's come to save me, even in this child. Loved ones, do you look at our Lord Jesus Christ and think, He is the power of God to save me. He is the one who is mighty, who, who, who came down from heaven high into the womb of a, of a girl, a, a young woman, and, and that, that he has come to, to live this life of suffering and obedience and, and, and serving, and laying down his life, uh, crucified on the cross, rising from the dead. All this might of God for me. That's, that's the distinct note of this part of Mary's song over and over. That, that the one who's mighty has done, done this for me. Um, Christ is not a gift without a tag on it. Right, sometimes there's that gift under the tree, under all the others, and it gets jumbled and the tag gets lost. And you're staring at this thing. Who wrapped this and who's it for? We have no idea. Um, Christ, Christ, Christ's gift comes with a tag on it. For you. And this is what Mary is saying. The Lord has done mighty things for me. And so he has for us. Fourth aspect of the Lord's mercy that is fueling her worship here is his faithfulness. Verse 50, she says, His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Note the word mercy there in your text in, in verse 50. Uh, it's the word um, in the Greek that the 
Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which was the common Old Testament in use in, in Mary's day, that, that they used for the word chesed, for steadfast love, loving kindness, God, God's covenant, loyal, faithful love for his people. This is what Mary's rejoicing in when she sings of God's mercy here. She's rejoicing in God's undeserved, unbreakable love for her. That it's from everlasting to everlasting. That, it, that it's faithful. That it goes on and on and on and on. That His people can't outlive it, can't outlast it. That God is faithful forever for His people. And again, uh, Mary, Mary's rejoicing as she thinks about what God is doing in this child in her womb. She's realizing that, that the steadfast love, the chesed of God, is the baby in her belly. That this is, the, this is the culmination of all the promises. It's Christ come now for her, the, the proof of God's steadfast, faithful love and the, and the consummation of His steadfast, faithful love. So she breaks into song. She's, she's singing about these things, brothers and sisters. The Lord has done all this for, for me. She rejoices in Him. And so should we. We should, we should see and, 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 and understand God has done these mighty, merciful things for me in Jesus Christ, and we should rejoice. That's the first fuel on the fire of her joy. There's more, though. There's the second half of her song. And now she turns her attention not just to what God has done for me, for her, but to what God has done for, for Israel, for his, for his whole people. This is the second part of, of her song, verses 51 through 55. It's the Lord's mercy to Israel. This part of her song uh, sounds like a history lesson. She's, she's reviewing uh, God's great saving work in the past. At least that's what, it, that's what it sounds like. She says that God has destroyed those who oppressed his people. She says that he has brought his people salvation and that he's done it according to his promise to Abraham. She could be describing any event, right, in the Old Testament. Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, Pharaoh's army destroyed in the Red Sea. Maybe that's what she's singing about. Or David and Goliath, right? There's a great instance of God saving the lowly, crushing the proud, redeeming his people. Um, but that's not what Mary's singing about. All this, all this history in the past, God rescuing his needy, weak people, right? It, it's in the background of her song. But what she's singing about is the present. She's using the past tense, which is interesting. She's using the past tense because she's so focused on the present and she's so certain about the present that she can speak of it as something already accomplished. But her attention here is on what God is doing now. It's, it's on the Christ who has come now. And she's saying all, all, all those things before were just pointing forward to this moment when Christ, the Savior, would come and would save his people. And all three of the themes that she describes here are brought to fulfillment in Christ. That he's the one who's destroyed the oppressors of his people. Now, if we take a step back for a moment from her song and think about this, it might, it might sound kind of odd. She's singing about this child in her womb destroying the enemies of God's people. But you open up the rest of the chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and what do you see? Well, you see Christ killed on a cross. Caesar doesn't get crucified. Jesus gets crucified. 
Right? Did Mary get this wrong? Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the people in power in Israel, they don't, they don't, they don't get scourged and, and, and hung. Jesus does. King Herod, he doesn't get, he doesn't get killed like, like Jesus does. Um, but this is the way Jesus wins his victory, isn't it? Humble, suffering, humility, obedient to the point of death. Paul writes about this in Colossians 2. He says, God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. There's a glorious destruction of the enemies of God's people that happens in Christ. We are under, we were under without Christ, such a tyranny, such an oppression. Um, without, without Christ, Satan had domination over your life. And every temptation he sent your way found its mark without Christ. He could do whatever he wanted with you. He could sift you like wheat. Remember that passage where, where Jesus is Peter? Satan wanted to, he wanted to sift you like wheat. He wanted to just take you in his hands and just do whatever he wanted with you. But I've prayed for you. Without Christ, you don't have that. Satan has you. He does what he wants with you. Whatever hateful plan he has, he carries out. Same with the, the, the tyranny of death. Without Christ, what's death? It's a monster at the end of your life that's going to destroy you, and you can do nothing about it. Can't overcome it, can't escape from it. And all your loved ones who pass away, if you don't have the hope of Christ, it's just a harsh and bitter end. Um, what about sin, the oppression of sin without Christ? Where does that leave you? Look, under guilt, under shame, under condemnation, um, in the shackles of of, of rebellion against God, unable to obey Him, unable to love Him, unable to love others. This is the way Ephesians 2 describes our oppression without Christ. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Without Christ, this is the tyranny and the slavery that all people are under, that you and I are under without Christ. And, and this is, a, this is a, it's a terrible and crushing thing. And Mary knows it. She's felt it, but she's bursting into song now because God has come and told her that he's going to destroy all of that. How will he do it? He does it by taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, comes down and humbles himself, and he becomes lowly. He becomes oppressed. He becomes weak. As he dies on that Roman cross, his body being crushed by, by this vast empire that looks so much stronger than him, he's crushing the powers of darkness. He's crushing the serpent's head under his heel. 
He's, he's bringing down the, the, the might of the powers of darkness. As he dies on the cross, as he himself receives death, what's he doing to death? He's killing death through his death. He turns death from being our tyrant and our slave master into our servant, serving our joy in Christ. And as he bears the weight of our sin, as he takes the guilt that should have been piled on us and should have been our condemnation, as he, as he, takes, the, as he takes that, he also breaks the power of sin over us. He takes the chains that have bound us to sinful desires and he shatters them so that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. This is what Christ does. And this is what Mary's singing about. The one who saved us from this oppression. The one who saved His people from these things. This is what Christmas means for you. Satan is crushed. And death is dead. And your sin is not your slave master. You've been set free in Christ. Can this really be true for me, for you? Look at my sin. I don't deserve God to come down and die to save me from these things. These things are the things I deserve. Look at the way I've treated Him, others, His commandments. Look what I've done with His law. Look at the way I've, I've treated my neighbor. Look at the way I've failed. Over, over, and over, and over can God really give this Christ and this gift to me and, and, and to his sinful people? Yes, he can. He does it because he lifts up the lowly, right? Isn't that how we started? This is what Mary's song is all about. This gospel, this rich gift of the grace of God is for the lowly. It's the fact that you don't qualify that means you qualify by his grace. So receive his gift of Christ. And trust Him and accept His mercy for you. And with that, loved ones, with that fuel thrown on your hearts, fire, may it flame into praise and worship and joy in God. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that Your Word would not return to You empty, but You would have the good fruit of it. We pray that You would work faith in us, work love in us, work hope in us in our hearts, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our response here is...